Chapter Seventeen of Margaret Fuller, Marquesa Osoli, by Julia Ward Howe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Margaret Fuller's Literary Remains. The preceding narrative has necessarily involved some consideration of the writings which gave its subject her place among the authors of her time this consideration has been carefully interwoven with the story of the life which it was intended to illustrate not to interrupt with all this care however much has been left unsaid which should be said concerning the value of margaret's contributions to the critical literature of her time of this our present limits will allow us to make brief mention only margaret so lived in the life of her own day and generation so keenly felt its good and ill that many remember her as a woman whose spoken word and presence had in them a power which is but faintly imaged in her writings nor is this impression wholly a mistaken one certain it is that those who recall the enchantment of her conversation always maintain that the same charm is not to be found in the productions of her pen yet if we attentively read what she has left us without this disparagement we shall find that it entitles her to a position of honour among the prose writers of her time the defects of her style are easily seen they are in some degree the result of her assiduous study of foreign languages in which the pure and severe idioms of the english tongue were sometimes lost sight of among them may be mentioned a want of measure in expression and also something akin to the fault which is called on the stage anti-climax by which some saying of weight and significance loses its point by being followed by another of equal emphasis with all this the high quality of her mind has left its stamp upon all that she gave to the reading public much of this first appeared in the form of contributions to the tribune the dial and other journals and magazines some of these papers are brief and even fragmentary but the shortest of them show careful study and conscientious judgment all of them are valuable for the admirable view which they present of the time in which margaret wrote of its difficulties and limitations and of the hopes and convictions which cherished then in the hearts of the few were destined to make themselves a law to the conscience of the whole community the most important of the more elaborate essays is undoubtedly that entitled woman in the nineteenth century of which some account has already been given in the preceding pages of the four volumes published in eighteen seventy five one bears this title a second entitled art literature and the drama contains many of the papers to which reference has been made in our brief account of margaret and her contemporaries from a third volume entitled at home and abroad we have quoted some of her most interesting statements concerning the liberal movement in europe of which she was so ardent a friend and promoter a last volume was collected and published in eighteen fifty nine by her brother the rev arthur b fuller who served as an army chaplain in the war of the southern rebellion and met his death on one of its battlefields this volume is called life without and life within and is spoken of in mr fuller's preface as containing for the most part matter never before given to the world in book form and also poems and prose fragments never before published in this volume two papers seem to us to ask for a special mention 
one of these is a review of carlyle's cromwell written when the book was fresh before the public it deserves to be read for its felicity of diction as well as for the justice of the thought expressed if we take into consideration the immense popularity of mr carlyle in america at the time when this work of his appeared we shall prize the courage and firmness with which margaret applies to it her keen power of criticism the moral insufficiency of the doctrine of the divine right of force is clearly shown by her and her own view of cromwell's character maintains itself in spite of the vituperations with which carlyle visits those who will not judge his hero as he does she even returns these threats with the following humorous passage-at-arms nobody ever doubted his cromwell's great abilities and force of will neither doubt we that he was made an instrument just as he proposeth but as to looking on him through mr carlyle's glasses we shall not be sneered or stormed into it unless he has other proof to offer than is shown yet if he has become interested in oliver or any other pet hyena by studying his habits is that any reason why we should admit him to our pantheon no our imbecility shall keep fast the door against anything short of proofs that in the hyena a god is incarnated we know you do with all your soul love kings and heroes mr carlyle but we are not sure you would always know the sauls from the davids we fear if you had the disposal of the holy oil you would be tempted to pour it on the head of him who is taller by a head than all his brethren of cromwell himself the following is margaret's estimate we see a man of strong and wise mind educated by the pressure of great occasions to the station of command we see him wearing the religious garb which was the custom of the times and even preaching to himself as well as others but we never see heaven answering his invocations in any way that can interfere with the rise of his fortunes or the accomplishment of his plans to ourselves the tone of these religious holdings forth is sufficiently expressive they all ring hollow again we see cromwell ruling with a strong arm and carrying the spirit of monarchy to an excess which no stuart could surpass cromwell indeed is wise and the king he punished with death is foolish charles is faithless and cromwell crafty we see no other difference cromwell does not in power abide by the principles that led him to it and we cannot help so rose-water imbecile are we admiring those who do to us it looks black for one who kills kings to grow to be more kingly than a king the other paper of which we desire to speak in this connection is one treating of the french novelists prominent at the time and in particular of balzac eugene Sue, and Divigny. of these three names the first alone retains the prestige which it had when margaret wrote her essay Divigny, remarkable mostly for purity of sentiment finish of style and a power of setting and limiting his pictures is a boudoir author and one read only in boudoirs of studious refinement Sue, to whose motives margaret gives the most humanitarian interpretation has failed to commend his method to posterity his autopsy of a diseased state of society is thought to spread too widely the infection of the evils which he deplores 
his intention is also too humane for the present day the world of the last decade and of the present is too deeply wedded to the hard worship of money to be touched by the pathos of women who perish or of men who starve the grievances of the poor against the rich find to-day no one to give ear to them and few even to utter them since those who escape starvation are too busy with beggary and plunder to waste time in such useless musings of the three here cited balzac alone remains a king among novelists and margaret's study of him imports as much to us to-day as it did to the world of her time she begins by commenting upon the lamentation general at that time and not uncommon in this over the depravity of taste and life already becoming familiar to the youth of america through the medium of the french novel concerning this she says it is useless to bewail what is the inevitable result of the movement of our time europe must pour her corruptions no less than her riches on our shores both in the form of books and of living men she cannot if she would check the tide which bears them hitherward no defences are possible on our vast extent of shore that can preclude their ingress our only hope lies in rousing in our own community a soul of goodness a wise aspiration that shall give us strength to assimilate this unwholesome food to better substance or to cast off its contaminations in view of the translation and republication of these works margaret remarks that it would be desirable for our people to know something of the position which the writers occupy in their own country she says moreover what we would fain hope may be true to-day that our imitation of europe does not yet go so far that the american milliner can be depended on to copy anything from the parisian grisette except her cap margaret speaks at some length of balzac's novel le pere goriot which she had just read the author she says reminds one of the spanish romancers in the fearlessness with which he takes mud into his hands and dips his foot in slime we cannot endure this when done as by most frenchmen with an air of recklessness and gaiety but balzac does it with the stern manliness of a spaniard the conception of this novel appears to her so sublime that she compares its perusal to a walk through the catacombs which the reader would not willingly have missed though the light of day seems stained afterwards with the mould of horror and dismay she infers from much of its tenor that balzac was familiar with that which makes the agony of poverty its vulgarity dirt confusion shabby expedients living to live these are what make poverty terrible and odious and in these balzac would seem to have been steeped to the very lips the skill with which he illustrates both the connection and the contrast between the depth of poverty and the height of luxury coexisting in parisian life is much dwelt upon by margaret as well as the praiseworthy fact that he depicts with equal faithfulness the vices developed by these opposite conditions his insight and mastery appear to her admirable throughout the characters excellently drawn especially that of the pere gordiot the father of two heartless women 
for whom he has sacrificed everything and who in turn sacrifice him without mercy to their own pleasures and ambitions admirable too she finds him in his description of look tone gesture he has a keen sense of whatever is peculiar to the individual with this acute appreciation of the great novelist's merits margaret unites an equally comprehensive perception of his fatal defects of character his scepticism regarding virtue she calls fearful his spirit mephistophelian he delights to analyze to classify but he has no hatred for what is loathsome no contempt for what is base no love for what is lovely no faith for what is noble to him there is no virtue and no vice men and women are more or less finely organized noble and tender conduct is more agreeable than the reverse that is all his novels show goodness aspiration the loveliest instincts stifled strangled by fate in the form of our own brute nature margaret did not perhaps foresee how popular strangling of this kind was destined to become in the romance of the period following her own contrasting eugene sue with balzac she finds in the first an equal power of observation disturbed by a more variable temperament and enhanced by the heart and faith that balzac lacks she sees him standing pen in hand armed with this slight but keen weapon as the champion of poverty innocence and humanity against superstition selfishness and prejudice his works she thinks with all their strong points and brilliant decorations may ere long be forgotten still the writer's name shall be held in imperishable honour as the teacher of the ignorant the guardian of the weak she sums up thus the merits of the two balzac is the heartless surgeon probing the wounds and describing the delirium of suffering men for the amusement of his students sue a bold and glittering crusader with endless ballads jingling in the silence of night before the battle she finds both of them much right and a good deal wrong since their most virtuous personages are allowed to practise stratagems falsehood and violence a taint she thinks of the old regime under which la belle france has worn rouge so long that the purest mountain air will not soon restore the natural hues to her complexion two ideal sketches the rich man and the poor man are also preserved in this volume and are noticeable as treating of differences and difficulties which have become rather aggravated than diminished since margaret's time the rich man is a merchant who sees in commerce a representation of most important interests a grand school that may teach the heart and soul of the civilized world to a willing thinking mind he plays his part in the game but not for himself alone he sees the interests of all mankind engaged with his and remembers them while he furthers his own in regard of his social status she says our nation is not silly in striving for an aristocracy humanity longs for its upper classes the silliness consists in making them out of clothes equipage and a servile imitation of foreign manners instead of the genuine elegance and distinction that can only be produced by genuine culture our merchant shall be a real nobleman 
whose noble manners spring from a noble mind his fashions from a sincere intelligent love of the beautiful margaret's poor man is an industrious artisan not too poor to be sure of daily bread cleanliness and reasonable comfort his advantages will be in the harder training and deeper experience which his circumstances will involve suffering privation in his own person he will she thinks feel for the sufferings of others having no adventitious aids to bring him into prominence there will be small chance for him to escape a well-tempered modesty he must learn enough to convince himself that mental growth and refinement are not secured by one set of employments or lost through another mahomet was not a wealthy merchant profound philosophers have ripened on the benches not of the lawyers but of the shoemakers it did not hurt milton to be a schoolmaster nor shakespeare to do the errands of a london playhouse yes the mind is its own place and if it will keep that place all doors will be opened from it this ideal poor man must be religious wise dignified and humble grasping at nothing claiming all willing to wait never willing to give up servile to none the servant of all esteeming it the glory of a man to serve such a type of character she tells us is rare but not unattainable the poems in this volume may be termed fugitive pieces rhymes twined and dropped in the pathway of a life too busy for much versification they somewhat recall mr emerson's manner but have not the point and felicity which have made him scarcely less eminent in verse than in prose they will however well repay a perusal in order that this volume may not be wholly lacking in their grace we subjoin two short poems which we have chosen from among a number of perhaps equal interest one of these apostrophizes an artist whose rendering of her greeks made him dear to her flaxman we deemed the secret lost the spirit gone which spake in greek simplicity of thought and in the forms of gods and heroes wrought eternal beauty from the sculptured stone a higher charm than modern culture won with all the wealth of metaphysic lore gifted to analyze dissect explore a many-colored light flows from one sun art neath its beams a motley thread has spun the prism modifies the perfect day but thou hast known such mediums to shun and cast once more on life a pure white ray absorbed in the creations of thy mind forgetting daily self my truest self i find the other poem interprets for us the significance of one of the few jewels which queenly margaret deigned to wear a signet ring bearing the image of mercury my seal ring mercury has cast aside the signs of intellectual pride freely offers thee the soul art thou noble to receive canst thou give or take the whole nobly promise and believe then thou holy human art 
a spotless radiant ruby heart and the golden chain of love has bound thee to the realm above if there be one small mean doubt one serpent thought that fled not out take instead the serpent rod thou art neither man nor god guard thee from the powers of evil who cannot trust vows to the devil walk thy slow and spellbound way keep on thy mask or shun the day let go my hand upon the way end of chapter seventeen recording by chufi galeazzi roner park california end of margaret fuller marquesa osoli by julia ward howe